0: It's the Kyle Hyman Show on Redeemer Radio.
1: I remember when I was growing up, my fifth grade teacher, we were walking down the hall in grade school. She put her arm around me and said, Danny, I just know you'll be a priest one day. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Flavor of the Week, brought to you by Banditos, fresh made daily. In Flavor of the Week, Kyle sits down with one of our local priests to sample variations of a favorite food or drink while they discuss the ins and outs of life as a priest.
0: Welcome to Flavor of the Week, part one with Father Daniel Scheidt. I am Kyle Hyman, and we are here in Father's office, going to try some pastas. Cindy Black, the executive director, I think outdid herself here with four different pastas, four different sauces
1: Kyle, it is a festival of carbs. <laughs> festival of carbs.
0: All right, which one do you want to do first? Let's start with the
1: Bucatini a la carbonara.
0: Okay. I like I've heard of pesto before, and I only know about Carbonara because Bishop said that's his favorite. That but is true. All of these words, here, I, I don't know any of these words. I don't know any of these pastas, and I don't know any of these sauces, so I'm excited.
1: When I was growing up, there were (laughs) two types of pasta, spaghetti and masticioli, and my mom would do the same homemade sauce for each of them. That was my limited experience. So as I got older, I lived in Italy for a number of years, Uh and I got to experience a little bit more variety. Okay. So that's that's what we're doing.
0: I'm excited. Yeah. For me, it's like there's spaghetti and lasagna. Yes. Yeah. All right. So...
1: Let's do the Bucatini alla Carbonara. There's
0: a lot here.
1: So, Carbonara is basically just breakfast in a sauce. Okay. Eggs and bacon. Oh,
0: nice. Good. So... Go ahead here.
1: Here we go. And the Bucatini noodle is much thicker than the spaghetti noodle, but it's hollow. So, the Italian word for whole is uh, bucco. And so... Bucatini is a noodle with a hole in the middle of it. Okay. Which is the secret sauce soaker. Ah. So the sauce clings to the outside, but it's also in the inner tube. Hmm. And by the way, when I lived in Italy for three years, I learned that one should never, ever, ever. Cut the noodles. Oh, okay. One twirls the noodles. Twirl the noodles. Italians will be genuinely uh, shocked and horrified. (laughs) You may be asked to leave the restaurant or, or the home, but gotta do what you gotta do.
0: All right. And what is the sauce again?
1: Oh, carbonara. Carbonara. Okay. Bless this pasta, Lord, to our use and us to your service. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
0: Amen. All right.
1: I've never eaten with a microphone in front of my face before. (laughs) Am I supposed to have Uh, the sounds of...
0: I understand that people really enjoy the chewing sounds. Really? (laughs) It's rather awkward. Still warm.
1: Yes. And many... Pasta sauces are actually just cheese delivery systems. So there's also <laughs> right. uh, some pecorino cheese, uh, sheep cheese on on this. Sheep cheese. This is also Father Andrew Budzinski's favorite pasta sauce.
0: Okay. What would be yours? Um, I'm a
1: fan of the pesto. Okay. Pesto is the equivalent of eating springtime. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Carbonara is the equivalent of eating breakfast. Right. For supper. Okay. <laughs> How often do you have pasta? Um, I don't know, a few times a week. I'm a runner, so it's a good, mm-hmm. good source of carbs. But growing up, the pasta was the main meal. So we would just have spaghetti for supper. Whereas in Italy, pasta is the first course. And I would say your standard Italian would eat uh, about half of of a plate of what the typical American amount of pasta would be. So it's it's more to prepare for the next course, which is a a meat and a vegetable course.
0: Oh, okay. So growing up, besides the spaghetti, what was your childhood like? Did you grow up in a pretty Catholic family?
1: Yes, my dad was from a multi-generationally Catholic family and my mom uh, was from an evangelical Lutheran family. Okay. So when she married my dad, she, for the sake of family unity, uh, herself went through the process to become Catholic. And I think it took her a number of years to feel fully at home. But she just finished a term on her parish council, so she's okay. she's fully in. Yeah. My grandparents on my dad's side actually met at confession. My grandpa was coming out of the box, <laughs> and he dropped his hat. And his future wife picked it up and giggled, and Clarence wound up meeting Josephine. That's and awesome. <laughs> so I, I owe my life to the sacrament of confession. I'm not yeah. just a salesman; I'm yeah. also a customer <laughs> and a product.
0: That's of, right, in a way. So, uh, growing up, did you Catholic schools or?
1: Yes, from uh, grade school at Our Lady of Grace in Highland, Indiana. To Bishop Knoll Institute in Hammond, Indiana. Uh, both of those places are the northwest right, part the region. of the state. Exactly the region. But I went to Notre Dame undergrad, and so that was my connection to the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend.
0: Huh. So this is kind of skipping ahead, but did you consider being a? Would it be the, Diocese the Gary, of Gary Diocese, which was hived off
1: of the Diocese of Fort Wayne back uh-huh. in the day? I think in the fifties, actually no, because, um, in college, when I had to make the decision about how should I pursue the priesthood or not, Mm -hmm. I had already lived a good portion of time in the diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. So I I didn't look to, to move back home. What were you studying? At Notre Dame, I was in the program of liberal studies, which was their great books program. So essentially classics of Western civilization.
0: Okay. Were you thinking about the priesthood? when you chose that or?
1: Yes, in a remote way. I remember when I was growing up, my fifth grade teacher, Sister Jane Anthrop of the Sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration, we were walking down the hall in grade school. She put her arm around me and said, Danny, I just know you'll be a priest one day. And I remember thinking at that moment, she's crazy, Uh but I have to be polite. So I'll just say yes. So my first Uh, yes to the priesthood, was in fifth grade, and I didn't really mean it, Uh but somebody else believed in my vocation more profoundly than I did, and she wound up being one of the lectors at my ordination. Oh, nice. And with the opening of the oratory of St. Mary Magdalene, our perpetual adoration chapel, I like to think that that is the fulfillment of the prayers of all of those
0: sisters. How so? How so?
1: Because their whole charism is adoring the Lord in the Holy Eucharist mm-hmm. day and night. And I'm convinced that uh, she prayed for my vocation every day. And and she carried mm-hmm. it, in a sense, before I fully received it.
0: Do you think that was like a, a gift from God of her discernment, seeing that you were called to this, almost like a, a prophecy of sorts? Or do you think it was just... She says that to all the kids, like, you should be a priest. I
1: actually have no idea yeah. about the detail of what she was thinking. But it, it's very mysterious how uh, I'm convinced that our vocations are carried by other people before we receive them. And the mm-hmm. most obvious sense is in our parents. So, our mother and our father, uh, their love for each other, our grandparents they're praying for us, they're hoping the best for us, and the seed of what we're going to become in a mysterious way is carried already in them. So, in the case of um, a spiritual mother, uh, Sister Jane, I I really think that she was looking beyond just teaching a fifth grader to you know, discerning what what are the Lord's plans here in the long run for all of my students? Mm
0: -hmm. So, at what point did you seriously consider the priesthood?
1: So, at the end of my time at Notre Dame, I knew that the Lord was calling insistently for me to leave all things and follow him. A young woman that I was very good friends with at the time, as my friend was getting ready for our evening out, uh, her father had sent some promotional literature for a house of formation and discernment in Rome hmm. that was opened up under the care of then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, huh. the young men interested in discerning some call to the priesthood or religious life. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this is exactly my future. So I wound up studying at this place, the Casa Casabalthazar for two years of Formation and Discernment, which became my pre-theology. But at the end of that, I wasn't certain still that the Lord was calling me to the priesthood. At that point, I felt like I was trying to seize something that wasn't yet being offered. However, I knew that I wanted to teach. So I sent out applications all over the place and heard nothing back. One of my friends suggested I pray a novena to St. Joseph, the worker. Mm-hmm. His feast day was coming up on May 1st, so I did. And sure enough, on May 1st, from out of nowhere, one of my professors from Notre Dame phoned, said, Dan, I heard you're looking for a high school teaching job. One just opened in the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend. It's yours if you want it. And I said, where is it? And he said, St. <laughs> Joseph High School. Okay, And I I couldn't. I couldn't even say anything. And he just said, you know, and I just got this research grant to go to Germany with my family for the year. So if you'd like to live in our house, feel free to do that. And if you'd like to drive our car, it's yours. <laughs> so I get the job, the house, and the car. Right. <laughs> and then the rest is pretty straightforward. It was through high school teaching that I wanted to give the students more than just the content of theology, I actually wanted to give them the sacraments. Hmm. And that's what catalyzed me going in the seminary. So I went from high school teaching to, to St. John's Seminary in Brighton, Massachusetts, okay. where Bishop Darcy sent everybody back in the day.
0: How long did you teach?
1: I taught uh, before the seminary four years, uh, so three years at St. Joseph High School, and then hmm. another year in Washington, D.C., actually Kensington, Maryland. I was working on a master's degree at the John Paul II Institute for the Study of Marriage and Family. Hmm. It was from there that I applied to the diocese. And then I taught another eight years as a deacon and
0: a priest uh,
1: at Marion High School at Mishawaka.
0: Okay. So you got master's before you went into the seminary? I did master's level work, Okay,
1: but, uh, only in the seminary did I get the two master's degrees. Okay. So what were those in? Uh, one is a Master of Divinity, which is a more pastoral degree, Uh and then the other is a Master of Arts in theology. And my thesis was on the six-day creation account in the book of Genesis, Mm. what's called the
0: hexameron. What's your take on that? Uh, I believe that
1: uh, it's true Uh in the sense that it's meant structurally, uh, not to undermine the scientific truth that the earth is... uh, billions of years old. Mm -hmm. That's obviously true. Um, Every (laughs) bit of technology that we use depends on that truth. But rather, the account in creation in Genesis is meant to show, in the terms of of the Exodus, how the promises made to Israel once upon a time are universal in scope. But that would be a separate radio program. (laughs) So, for those who are interested, um, if you look at the first three days of creation, they match days four, five, and six. So, it's not just a linear chronological account, it's also a relational pairing, and Hmm. the order of the different things created corresponds to images in the liberation of the Israelites from the Red Sea. If all of this seems very complex and abstract, (laughs) don't worry. All you have to do is go to the Easter Vigil and you'll hear the creation account read and you'll hear the account of the Exodus read. Those two are meant to be read together and all of it is fulfilled in the gospel. So if, if day one is the creation of light from darkness, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If the second day is the separation of the water above from the water below, the sky and the sea, Jesus is the one, the apostles say, who is this man whom even wind and sea obey? Hmm. And you just go through each day. Christ, God made flesh, is the historical realization of what is described in the first chapter of Genesis.
0: I feel like the way you broke that down is also just the way that you compose homilies. I feel like you're maybe famous for your homilies. Or infamous, depending. Just so intentional, uh, well-structured, and then as far as I can tell, no notes?
1: No, I visualize my homilies. I'm actually describing what I see.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Like a photographic memory?
1: I wouldn't call it that. My imaginative sense just allows me to visualize. And actually, I think my high school teaching... Just cultivated the art of extemporaneous speaking. Uh huh. You know, thinking on one's feet. I always ask the Lord what He wants me to say. Mm-hmm. That's the best homiletic preparation. And I read the readings for the next day before I go to sleep at night. So that's what
0: I try to dream about for your daily for the mass daily homily. yeah. Is it different for a Sunday? For mass? the Sunday
1: homily, I'm thinking about it all week, and my favorite way to prepare for the homily is actually to read the gospel in somebody else's life. So I I try to incorporate in my homilies ways in which other people that I've observed are living the gospel, Hmm. which it's so beautiful, it generates even more people sharing their stories of how the Lord is working in their life. And it's it's a positive feedback loop.
0: Do you ever think of it in the negative of how people aren't living the gospel? Or do you always think of it in the positive of examples of people that are living it?
1: Well, I think people have a pretty clear understanding of their faults. right? Um, But when Christ in the gospel is challenging, uh, calling us out, I pursue that to the nth degree. So if Christ is being consoling, my preaching Mm -hmm. is consoling. If Christ is challenging, my preaching tries to be challenging. So I try to follow the Lord's lead in whatever the gospel is proclaiming for that Sunday in view of also liturgical seasons.
0: All right. Well, I'd love to keep going on this, but we're gonna have to wrap this up and we'll have three more pastas, three more conversations about different things in your ministry. Again, this one is, I always forget these Bucatini Uh a la
1: carbonara
0: Okay So out of the four of these it's hard to rank right now but where do you think this one's gonna sit?
1: I don't know It's a a little bit like ranking children
0: if you have a large (laughs) family
1: Each one is different Okay
0: All right Well thank you so much Father Dan Scheidt for sharing a little bit of your journey to the priesthood and uh, we'll have more on Flavor of the Week brought to you in part by Banditos Great To join my email list and get a free mp3 of a song I wrote about fanny packs, text fanny pack to 44222. And until next time, remember to leave room for the Holy Spirit.